Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at Germany, where Chancellor Angela Merkel has announced her decision to step down as leader of the ruling Christian Democrats. So are we now entering the post-Merkel era, and what might it look like? Joining me on the line from Berlin is our bureau chief there, Guy Chazan, and here in the studio is Europe editor Ben Hall. Guy, first of all, was this a surprise, Mrs Merkel's decision to step down? It was actually a surprise. Everybody was watching very carefully the elections in Hesse, which is one of the states in West Germany. They had elections on Sunday, and the CDU, the Christian Democratic Union, Merkel's party, had been doing incredibly badly in the polls. And on the night, they also did extremely badly. Their vote share shrank by 11 percentage points. But they actually scraped through, which meant that they were able to uh, stay in power and renew their coalition with the Greens and not even have to bring in any coalition parties. So actually, the result was nowhere near as bad as some people had been expecting. I mean, there had been even suggestions that the CDU government might have been voted out of office in that election. It didn't happen. Now, if that eventuality had happened, everybody was expecting that Merkel would step down. But the fact that the CDU clung to power meant, indeed, I wrote myself, that it looked like she dodged a bullet. Despite that, she decided to stand down. And that was the thing that surprised everybody, that she'd squeaked through and her party had squeaked through and still she decided to stand down. And yet she's also said she intends or would like to stay on as Chancellor until 2021. But at the same time, there's now a contest on to lead the CDU. So is her position tenable, do you think? And who's emerging as the front runner for the CDU? Well, everything depends on who is elected party leader. Because there are three candidates who've declared. One of them is Merkel's anointed heir, or heiress rather, Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, who's the current Secretary General of the CDU. Now, she is very much a Merkel clone. She's very loyal to the Chancellor, and she generally has a similar kind of agenda to her. She's very popular in the party, and she is, I think, odds-on favour at the moment to win. But there are two others who've declared, Jens Spahn, the health minister, and Friedrich Merz, who is a former head of the CDU parliamentary group. And he is a real ideological adversary of Merkel's. And Spahn is too. Now, if either Spahn or Merz win, then all bets are off. No one really expects Merkel to be able to survive as chancellor till 2021, till the next elections, if either Merz or Spahn are elected party leader. It would just be a completely impossible combination. She would understand that as well. And there's no way that she would persist in trying to cling on to the job of chancellor if one of her ideological rivals gets the party leadership. You say ideological rivals. What are the key splits? Well, Spahn, for example, was her most ferocious critic during the whole refugee crisis. He really was very outspoken against her sort of liberal policy of keeping Germany's borders open during the crisis which led to an influx of uh, more than a million migrants, as we know, mainly from the Middle East and North Africa. He's been very, very critical of that. He's very, very hard line on the fact that these people now have to integrate. And if they don't, then they should be kicked out. Uh, he's sort of taken a very hard line, sort of almost like 
AFD line, Alternative for Germany, this rather sort of anti-immigration line. Although I must say, since he became a minister, he became health minister in March, he's piped down a bit. Merz also, he was always very strongly opposed to Merkel and the way she essentially pushed the party to the left or to the, the centre-left of German politics. Basically, he represents the disgruntled older generation, In although he's not so old himself, but he represents that sort of group of conservatives within the CDU who have resented the way Merkel has tried to modernise the party. They want it to return to its conservative roots. Now, Ben, obviously... One of the characteristics of the Merkel era is that Germany's become more and more evidently the dominant force inside the European Union. So the rest of Europe will be watching this with considerable interest and perhaps some nervousness. Yes, I mean, once again, European leaders are sort of bystanders to German domestic politics, which has become an all too familiar pose for the last uh, well, several years, really, uh, all the way through the Eurozone crisis. Of course, you could remember moments of kind of critical decision making that depended on voices and debates back in the Bundestag in Berlin. I'm sure leaders across the continent are watching incredibly closely to see what comes out of the CDU uh, leadership contest and then the stability of the government if Merkel really wants to stay till 2021. It's quite likely that we'll have lots more instability, particularly within the Grand Coalition from the SPD. So this may well be a German government that does very little over the next three years, which will be uh, bad news for Europe. How bad, though? I mean, can Europe actually cope with a period of stasis where nothing much happens? Yes, it could. I suppose I've just been in Paris and I think there's a very strong French view, for example, that this is actually quite a benign period of relative economic growth. And actually, this is the time, precisely the time to fix problems, particularly in the Eurozone, for the next crisis, which may not be that far away. And I suppose the other big threat, of course, is the populist insurgency, which is really gaining traction across the continent. And I think certainly the view in Paris is that Europe can't afford to just sit there and do nothing. It has to move and it has to respond to try and galvanise citizens behind a sort of more pro-European position and to try and sort of quell this popular insurgency. Mm. But I guess the reality is, isn't it, Guy, that even under the pretty pro-European centrist Mrs Merkel, the German government had been pretty disappointing as far as the French are concerned in responding to some of these more ambitious plans for European integration. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the big surprises, in a way, has been the performance of Olaf Scholz, the SPD finance minister here. When the coalition treaty was hammered out between the CDU and the CSU and the SPD in February and March, there was a very strong European chapter there, which was basically written by the former SPD leader Martin Schulz, who was himself a former president of the European Parliament. It was incredibly strongly pro-European, very idealistic, really sort of buying into the whole Macronian vision of reform. And what's happened since then, obviously, was Martin Schulz was kicked out. And the current leaders of the SPD are totally not interested in European reform or Eurozone reform. Olaf Scholz has just turned out to be a sort of pale uh, imitation of Wolfgang Schäuble, in fact, lacking Schäuble's vision of European integration. So he's been a big disappointment for those who were really hoping that the new German Grand Coalition would respond to Macron's reform proposals in a positive way. So, if anything, I suspect then, Ben, that a new Germany would become actually more introverted because the best you could hope for is continuity from a European point of view with a kind of Merkel lookalike. But if it were a Spahn-type figure, you would have a, 
I hesitate to use the word nationalistic, but a more conservative, more Germany-first approach. I think that's probably right. I mean, Angela Merkel has been Chancellor for 13 years. She has sat at Europe's top table for that long. And even though she has herself been incredibly cautious and conservative in the way that she's handled a lot of European questions, she does have a very strong kind of European instinct and sensibility, which perhaps her successors won't have. So I agree that possibly the next Chancellor is going to be less pro-European than Angela Merkel. I suppose the thing that we have to remember, though, is that they're not going to be that Eurosceptic. Germany is still a pro-European country. It's still very much in Germany's national interest to want a strong Europe. And I don't see us, I mean, apart from at the far right fringe with the rise of alternative for Deutschland, which, by the way, looks like it might be plateauing anyway in public support. I don't see a huge shift to the right on the big European question in Germany. And I guess the irony is that even if Germany is losing some of its traditional Europhilia, it's never been more powerful in Europe and more central to what's happening inside the EU. And that will only be accentuated with Brexit. Oh, that's certainly true, especially with Italy locked in a, in a showdown with Brussels and other member states and then tensions with the East, Spain, which seems to be fairly politically weak, and Britain obviously leaving. I mean, the big question is whether Emmanuel Macron can recover popularity in France and whether he can bring his reforms to bear to convince Germany and convince public opinion and political opinion in Germany that reform is for real and therefore, you know, Germany should take his ideas for Eurozone reform, for example, more seriously. And finally, Guy, I mean, maybe it's a little bit too soon to be writing the obituaries for the Merkel era, but what do you think she will be remembered for? I mean, she's been in power a long time. I think essentially she'll be remembered for many things. I mean, it's interesting when people sort of look back, they look at the great chancellors of Germany's post-war history, people like Konrad Adenauer, who really anchored Germany in the Western alliance, Helmut Kohl, who achieved German reunification. And um, it's interesting, you know, she's been chancellor for 13 years. And when you ask people, so what is she going to be remembered for? People struggle to come up with an answer. And the funny thing is that a lot of people sort of think a bit and hum and ha and then say the refugee crisis. And actually, that, in a way, might be her lasting legacy. I mean, I think she would resent that <laughs> because it wasn't her finest hour. But I think in many ways, the fact that she stood up for the idea of open borders, for the idea of humanitarianism, and for the liberal world order, in a way, in her response to that crisis, I think that says a lot about her. And I think it also says a lot about how she changed Germany, because I think that approach would never have happened before she had become Chancellor. The German response to the refugee crisis will, I think, be remembered in decades to come as an extraordinary moment in recent European history. And her role in that was absolutely critical. OK, with that, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Guy Chazan in Berlin, to Ben Hall here in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 